This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we throw our spotlight on two broadcast years. In our second show at the half hour, we'll listen to an episode of Our Miss Brooks that was first aired in 1951. But first, it's back to 1947. What were some of the major news stories that folks were hearing on the radio then? Well, the Contiki Expedition was a huge news story that year. Contiki is the name of Thor Heyerdahl's raft that he captained to an astonishing three-month voyage across the Pacific. You see, he was a biologist intrigued by Polynesian folklore and suspected that the South Sea Islands had been settled by an ancient race from thousands of miles to the east. He decided to prove his theory. Okay, how do you do that? By building a boat using the materials that would have been available to those pre-Columbian sailors and duplicating their legendary voyage. So on April 28th of 1947, Heyerdahl and five other adventurers sailed from Peru on a raft built from balsa wood, bamboo, and hemp. After three months and 4,300 nautical miles on the open sea, they finally sighted land, the Polynesian Islands. It's a classic inspiring tale of daring and courage, a magnificent saga of men against the sea. Another story that continues to make the news is the Roswell UFO incident. In mid-1947, a United States Army Forces balloon crashed at a ranch near Roswell, New Mexico. Following wide initial interest in the crashed flying disc, the U.S. military stated it was merely a conventional weather balloon. Interest subsequently waned until the late 1970s when ufologists began promoting a variety of increasingly elaborate conspiracy theories claiming that one or more alien spacecraft had crash-landed and the extraterrestrial occupants had been recovered by the military, who then engaged in a cover-up. In the 1990s, the U.S. military produced two more reports, this time disclosing the true nature of the crashed object, a nuclear test surveillance balloon from Project Mogul. Nevertheless, the Roswell incident continues to be of interest in popular media and conspiracy theories. As a matter of fact, it's a story even today mentioned here on Zoomer Radio's Conspiracy Show on Sunday evening at 11 p.m. with Richard Serrett. It's a great show. you got to try and tune it in. This year saw some of the most significant inventions. 1947 would herald the introduction of the transistor and the mobile phone. At the local movie theater, you could catch Miracle on 34th Street, The Road to Rio, and The Jolson Story. And on the radio, folks were listening to Voyage of the Scarlet Queen.
Log entry, the catch, Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, master. Position, 4 degrees 12 minutes south, 171 degrees 35 minutes west. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks, left Hull Island, Phoenix Group, after involvement in tribal beliefs. Reason for involvement, red beard and the bag of pearls. It was a brilliant sun-washed afternoon that the puff of cumulus on the horizon ahead slowly raised to show beneath it an indistinct smudge. It darkened as we moved toward it, took on a definite palm-tufted outline, and finally materialized as the four-mile length of Hull Island. Its flat silhouette is broken at its western end by a grove of 80-foot palms, and it's set against a backdrop of water and sky and never-ending summer. Gallagher approached me at the wheel as we stood in toward our passage. It was resplendent in a newly grown burning red beard that shone in the sunlight. Hey, Barbarossa, uh, if you can make yourself heard through that eight-bell shadow, douse the sails. We'll go in under power. Aye, aye, sir, and your jealousy does not throw me. <laughs> Stay by to take it and pull all sail. All two, obey my feet. You'll be turning right on my We slipped through the passage into the quiet lagoon water and headed toward the small pier that served the copra station of Harris Fenrick, the man who was to receive the cargo of supplies we had aboard. The Scarlet Queen had company in the unkempt schooner Ransom from Honolulu that was anchored just off the pier. We dropped our hook next to her, and in the quiet after we were secure, I heard for the first time the muffled throb of drums from the island. Then I noticed that the man who walked down the pier toward us carried a rifle. I'm glad you finally got here, Captain Carney. Are you Fenric? No. He's up in the cottage. I'm Rayleigh Brado, captain of the schooner. What are the drums? The natives are stored up. Better leave your crew aboard, Captain. But we need you ashore. We think they will attack tonight. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to sail the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. This is my mate, Mr. Gallagher, Captain Labrado. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Quite a beard you got, redhead. Yeah, it's not bad for a start. What's the story, Captain? What's bothering the natives? First, I uh, I think you better give me your gun. You what? what kind of a move is that? I think it's better I took over command here. Henrik, he isn't worth anything. I think it's better if I have all the guns so nobody don't do any shooting until I want them. Well, how do you like that? You got the wrong men, Labrado. We'll sweat this out on the ship on the other side of the reef. Come on, Red. Wait a minute. Use your heads. I need you on this island. You stay here. Where else? Can we go, Skipper? Hold it, Red. What's up, Ray? These guys think I'm kidding. 
Take their guns. What is this? Hold it, Brad. Don't try nothing now, either one of you. Sure, Lebron. Don't have to be so. Just so it's my way. Is that rifle? What else? Yes, sir. Yeah, I guess that does it, Ray. Uh, let's be friends now, huh? This is my mate, Morel. We got a thing to do here. Let's pull together, huh? Yeah, I'm not kicking. I like to be shoved around like this. You make friends fast, you guys. Maybe this don't mean a thing, but I got to know you're all right when I talk to you. Come on. We go up to the cottage. There were two more men in the main room of the cottage we entered. One who ignored us as we came in wore seaman's clothes and a belted automatic. The other, sitting stiffly in a wicker chair, I took for Harris Fenrick. A slight graying man with a purplish bruise covering the left side of his face from temple to chin. And a look for Labrado that mixed fear and hate. Sit down. This is Thorpe from my crew. And he's Fenrick. <laughs> he don't talk much. With that face, he doesn't have to. I'll talk when it's the time. Shut for... up. You got what's coming to him. I came in here without food stores or fuel for my auxiliary. This guy turned me down when I want to buy from him. These Phoenix Islanders haven't been at war for 50 years. What's got him riled up? <laughs> These. Mm, the pearls? That's right. Plenty of them. It'll go $40,000 on skin. I won't fight you for him. Give me a match. Light your own. Burrell. Match. Yeah, boy. Now, let's get one thing settled between you and me and Curly Locks with the fire whiskers there. Don't blow that smoke in my face, you dumb... Guys like us don't come down to these islands for the weather. You're carrying cargo for money. I'm pearling for money. We uh, see eye to eye on that now, hmm? Yeah, I think I can figure that one out. I got these pearls just like every other pearl in the business. I anchor over the bed... I got them in the Gilberts on a shelf between Beru and Nicaragua. It's simple enough, huh? I don't care where you got them. What are you driving at? That bed. The Gilbert Tees think nobody should dive there. It's sacred. They bury their warriors there for, I don't know, maybe four or five hundred years, maybe more. I don't know. You mean these are Gilbert Tees out here with the drum? They follow you all the way over here? That's right. More of them come every day. The market wants these pearls. I should throw them back just because these Kanakas get some crazy ideas. When you break a taboo, you're asking for trouble. You asked for it, now you got it. That's all right. I got the pearls, too. <laughs> I'll fix these boys. They bought me last night when I was there. Take off my native crew. Cut my sails and then my running rigging. Throw the lines and blocks over the side. It's going to don't sail for a long time. I come all the way here two days ago on my engine. And this Fenric... Won't help me get repaired so I can get out of here. Because I'd ruin everything I built here if I did. My workers are Gilbertese, too. He wanted to force them on the crew. Up, Henrik. You ain't talking, remember? Now, Connie, you got any extra gear and canvas I could buy from you? No. None that I can spare. <laughs> too bad you say that. I hope you like shooting, Connor. I don't. Especially when it's your kind of fight. You'll get plenty of chance. As far as they're concerned, you're fighting on my side, no matter what you do. They saw you come in. They got it all figured out how you came to help me get away. This is your fight, too, now. You'll find out what I mean. It didn't take long to find out. 
The sun dropped into the west, and soon after half its circle had sunk into the horizon, Labrado's crewman, Burrell, standing at the window... Hey, Labrado! ...called out the warning. They're moving out there. Coming this way. A whole gang of them. All right. Back. We go meet them outside. Bring our rifles up. Burrell, you watch Redbeard. Okay. Labrado's automatic pushed Fenwick and me out the door and off the veranda. There must have been a hundred or more trickling toward us through the neat rows of palms. We were wearing full tribal gear and paint, carrying war clubs and short spears. There wasn't a long-range weapon in the crowd. They stopped at the edge of the grove. A tall, erect native stepped to the front and raised his hand to us. His headdress was a little higher, his paint a little gaudier. And he was weaponless. What? What do he say, Fenric? The truth I want. He says that he has seen the spirit home and, and he comes in peace. He's a liar. What was that? He says the spirit omen will protect him. He will walk into our house with the spirit omen at his side. He will return a victor to his island Beiru, where the spirit omen once lived. He's coming, Lebrado. Let him come. Give him five steps more and then show them we mean business. Hey, wait a minute. No. Go ahead, Thor. Brother, don't let him shoot. Go ahead, Thor. Get that native. You stupid. You lunkheads. You shot the chief. Watch it. Here comes another one. You're crazy fool. He's just going to pick out the chief. They're going away. What more do you want? Well, Carney. How do you like the way we fight now? That's great. You and these smoke-crazy hands of yours have got real guts. That was the tough assignment, that native who didn't even have a slingshot. Come on, we go inside and talk. Morel, you and Thor bring curly locks in. We'll bring him. Come on, Connie, move ahead. You too, Henrik, inside. Take that chair there, Carney. Don't bother being nice. I like it better the other way. What's the matter, Carney? We're in this together, huh? Together? Sure. Gonna be tough from now on since uh, we killed that chief. They waste a few Kanakas and use up our ammunition. They wait long enough, they starve us out. Lazy monkeys, they get plenty of time. I think we better get off of this island, don't you? We... Oh, yeah, you mean you and Burrell and Thorpe. We all go together on my ship, huh? Sure. You say you don't have any spare gear or canvas. Anyway, I don't think we got time now to make repairs on my ship. I'll pay our passage to Borneo and you don't lose anything. Why don't anything. you stop? I kicked myself from here to Sydney before I get sucked into a deal like that. That's enough, I tried out as a galley slave to that dead chief's survivors before I'd help you get out of here on my ship. All right, Tony, you keep begging. What are you, you lay off. I'm going to catch you without that automatic before this is over. All right, Brad. I'd rather be slugged than talked to by this louse. Maybe you'll get both, Connie. You and your mate, too. I gave you a chance. I'm still trying to make sense with you. Hey, Lebrado. Yeah, what have you got? Getting dark out there. It looks like the grove out in front's crawling with Kanakas. Stop, you go send guard at the door. I'll watch these guys. Move over there, Fenric. You too, Connie, over by your mate. It's them, all right. Lebrado, they're coming out of the grove. Then open up, fools, if you get targets, fire. Slow them up. When they get too close, we leap from the back window. If any of them back there, we can shoot our way through. We leave these three here for them. 
They won't stop. Keep firing. That's no use. Come on. Let's not wait any longer. We go out to North Rim. They can have these three in payment for their chief. After they'd gone through the window, we just had time to get to our feet before the flood of natives rolled into the cottage. We backed to the wall, but the swarm of brown bodies smothered us like soldier ants covering the carcass of a mouse. I was pulled from the wall and lost Gallagher and Fenric. Then I was looking into a brown vermilion dabbed face. I caught the flash of a polished war club over my head and saw the lips in front of me pull away from a set of blackened teeth. And then I seemed to explode upward to meet the descending club. The first thing that came back to me was the difference in sound. It was raining. I got my eyes open. The room swam into focus. I stumbled to my feet. One chair had been knocked over. Beyond it on the floor lay Harris Fenrick. When I looked around, I couldn't find Red. He was gone. Red? 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 What? Fenric? Fenric, wait a minute. I'll get some water. All right. Come on, Come on, Connie. You're all right. Come on, Fenric. Get yourself together. My head kept... Yeah, I know. It's bad. I'm doing the best I can. Fenric, listen. Gallagher is gone. Gallagher? The natives took him. They took him? Do you understand me? Yes, Captain. Are you sure they took him? What else? They caught us here. Now he's gone. I couldn't have been the brother of the others. You mean they took him to pay for their chief? That is their custom, Captain Connie. The spirit of one of the enemy who dies while looking at the dead chief... Will be the slave of the Gilbertine spirit in the hereafter. Never mind all that. How much time have I got? A few hours, perhaps. But Where Captain. are they? Captain, I know the hopelessness of anything you would attempt. You yourself would be killed. I'm afraid I must refuse to answer any more of your questions. Where are they? I'm sorry, Captain. But you sent me to my death. But I'll make them understand that he's the wrong man. You couldn't. Any man from the enemy village. We're all enemies since Labrador was among us. Come on, Fenric, before I shake it out of you. Where would they take him? I'm sorry, Captain. Captain. Where are you, Connie? Use your head. Labrador. After all this. You come back to do more. Sure. Sure I come back. Why not? With the same forty-five in case Carney gets too brave. Have it ready, Labrada. When you need it, you're going to need it in a hurry. It is ready. Why don't you wake up, Carney? If mate is gone with the Kanakas, what can you do? Use your head. Go with me to your ship now so we can get off this island. Drop it. I pay your passage in advance. You're just making me sick. Drop it. Get sore, pull the trigger, do something, but quit trying to sell me that deal. All right. You stay on the island, then. If you, it would be easy. But you think we can't leave on your ship without you? We handled crews like that before. We'll make it all right. You might have that for a few days. It's a good try, Connie. I promise you that. Now that you give me your ship, I tell you where they cannot stake your mate. brother, why don't you just shoot him? You know what you're doing to him by telling him. Sure, I know. <laughs> I fix it so the captain can bend over three sharp bamboo stakes. Two for the belly and one for the heart. While a big kanaka, he pushes him down from behind. Abrado. Go through the grove, Carney. South of there, you'll find a scrub forest. After you go through 300 yards, you look low underneath. 
Maybe see their fire. Maybe you get there in time to see how the three stakes look in your mate. You're happy now? Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it by forgetting you got that gun. Get out of here, Labrado. I can't stay away from you. Get out of here, Labrado. Sure, Carney. Don't make me sad to get out of here. Captain Carney. It's all right, Fenwick. But your ship, why not go with him and try to save at least that? He's ruined what I've built. And now for a hopeless search, you let him put an end to what you have. That's enough, Fenwick. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should have gone. I couldn't. Not yet. I followed the beach. I walked the 200 yards. Then started dropping to the ground every 10 feet or so to look under the heavy foliage for a flicker of flame. I covered half of the next hundred. Squatted low for a few minutes, my soaked clothes sticking coolly to my body. The movement of a figure on the beach ahead caught my eye. All my attention focused on it. Not for long, but long enough to dull me to the movement behind me. It was a short rush. I had turned to meet one of them. The other one stayed behind me and a loop settled around my throat. And tight. I... I struggled until I was blinded by the flashes in my eyes. The noose relaxed as soon as I stopped. Hand in my back pushed me in the direction the native behind me wanted me to go. I stumbled ahead along an unseen passage through the scrub. I entered the uneven circle of light spreading from a number of fires fighting against the rain. I looked up at a wall of stony, silent faces. And my natives pulled me to a halt. I made myself look at the ground. Forced my eyes to stay on a triangle of stiletto-sharp stakes that gleam wetly in the firelight. Yeah, my My guard took my shoulder. The noose slipped off. Then he turned me away from the stake. Pushed me forward toward the wall of natives. An aisle split the crowd. I was guided through it. I made the first six feet on the other side. Then I stopped. Fire on this side was bigger. Flames leaping cheerfully. Higher than my head. Forming a curtain that I could see vaguely through. Only vaguely. And I still didn't believe what I thought I saw. Yeah. I moved around the fire. And I had to believe it because I heard it. Hold on. No. This is not the killer of the chief. Why not? Tell me, my donkey. Gallagher. Not impaled on stakes, but seated on a chair of sorts, his bright red beard glowing in the firelight, and a shelter of palm leaves protecting him from the rain the rest of us stood in. He looked at me coolly, then gestured idly with two fingers on his right hand. After white man sent to me. Benua! Farati! Tell them I speak to the white man. Then we find the killer of their chief. Maori! I'm a big gun around here. And if I like you, I might save your life. I was stumbling around here figuring maybe I'd save yours. What the devil's going on? My beard and my collar is fine. Yeah. They saw me come ashore. And then they dragged me out of that cottage and made a big shot out of me before I could congratulate myself. <laughs> they got a legend that a guy with a beard and hair like Hans Borton floated into Beiru Island in the Gilberts three or four hundred years ago. And he turned into quite a leading light. They think I'm him. Come back to save their pearls. Think you'll make it? I hope so. Because if I don't... 
That's why I had him out there waiting for you. I knew you'd get on this trail sometime. Ren, Lebrado yeah. and his hands are on their way to take over the Queen when I left. The Queen? What's the matter with you, Skipper? How'd you let him get away with that? I had all the artillery. I didn't even have you. Oh, yeah. I don't think they'll risk the reef with this rain-cutting visibility. But we better take a stab at it quick. Catch him while they're at anchor. Yeah. Can you get some helpers? <laughs> Can I? All I gotta do is wag this beard. How many you want? Fifty, a hundred, or the whole blasted pack? Twenty of the best swimmers. <laughs> That's great, but being what I am, I'll have to outswim them. Or admit that I'm human. <laughs> Watch my beard, Skip. I'll show you how it's done. Stand by! Tell them this. I demand 20 swimmers. They must be strong and silent and filled with fire. When they are ready, we will go and get the pearls, the one who took them from the burial bed, and the two killers... Hey, you're all right, Red. <laughs> you got that immortal attack. <laughs> this is a life for you. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But that other Joe, he married eight wives. You, you, you should see what I've been through dodging that, that honor. Well, you tell him you've got a scarlet queen that just sets off your beard. That's woman enough for you. Believe me, Skipper, I'll be glad to get her back. <laughs> An hour later, Gallagher and I had led our 20 natives to the edge of the lagoon, a safe distance away from the pier, and stripped down the dungarees. We slipped into the water, stroked silently with our arms submerged, with only our heads breaking the surface. We reached the queen, rested on the port side. We found both Thorpe and Burrell standing watch on deck. According to plan, I submerged, swam under the keel. Came up on the starboard side. Waited there for the disturbance to take them to port so I could board. I didn't hear the sound, but I saw Thorpe's head lift and swing toward it. I was halfway over the rail by the time they started to move. And I was behind them as they reached the rail. I dropped to the deck and lifted their feet first. Thorpe, and then They were fished out by waiting brown arms that quieted their struggling and started towing them to shore. Gallagher came aboard. We didn't wait for LeBron. We went after him. He was sitting on the edge of my bunk, idly picking an untrimmed thumbnail. When he saw us, his mouth dropped open. He lunged to his feet and his hand streaked toward the automatic at his waist. Hey, what the devil? Without the gun this time, LeBron. Oh, oh. I take his gun, Red. I'll take him. Hey, what do you think you're doing, Carl? I don't know what to do without that automatic in your fist. Do you, LeBron? You don't like it when you're unarmed like that native chief. Oh, Ernie. I don't think you know what else to do with a guy who had enough guts to walk up to you and your two riflemen. Oh. You don't understand guts, do you? Gives you the death when you see them in somebody else. Oh, that's enough. Not quite. It. All right, now get him. All right, I got him. What's this? It's all out of his shirt. Just the pearls, Red. You bring them. We'll give both the pearls and Labrado to our friends. Hey, don't let them move you. Shut up, Labrado. No. Oh, please, please, let me all right, Gallagher. Be the big chief. Hand the pearls over to your loyal subjects. Right, Skipper. Hey, you! Here! Tony! What are you going to do? Hey, down there! No, Tony! Your mighty red god has another gift for you! Let up. 
and through a rift in the clouds, the moon shot a spotlight that shone on a triangle of palms ashore. They gleamed wetly in the silver light, and they reminded me of the triangle of glistening stiletto-sharp stakes that were now waiting for Labrado. I went in to clean myself up before I hit the sack. By 1.30 the next day, we discharged Fenrick's cargo and left Hull Island basking in the sun peacefully once more, richer for the unkempt schooner Ransom from Honolulu. With the white curl of surf on coral dropping astern, I cut the motor, and Red roared the crew into action. It was a meek equatorial breeze that flowed in on our starboard quarter. But the crewmen jumped to their stations as though it was the wind they'd waited for all their lives. It was a holiday wind that we'd ride to Christmas. No snow or holly wreaths, no sleigh bells or shopping lists. But we'd be one up on the world. We'd celebrate the holiday on Christmas Island. The mainsail blossomed into the air. The jib. Then the mizzen swung across my head and its expanse went to work. The Scarlet Queen, unimpressed by the meager wind she was getting, settled lazily on her course and nestled into the long blue-green swells that stretched endlessly ahead. Hey, Skipper, I got something to show you. How are you, almighty bearded one, pride of the Gilbert Islands? <laughs> yeah, you, you think it's a gag, huh? Yeah, yeah, look at here, look. The Pacific Islands Handbook. Page one, two, go ahead, go ahead, read, read, right. look, look at that. The Spanish explorer Mendana was in these waters in 1567. Yes. Yeah. And it's believed that he may have sighted the Gilbert group. Uh, that's my outfit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, strong native tradition has it that between 1550 and 1600, a man with white skin, red hair, and red beard came ashore at the island of Beirut, Gilbert, in a boat like a box in a famished condition. Yeah. He recovered, took as wives the eight sisters of a local chief, and had 23 children whose descendants are now scattered throughout 14 of the 16 Gilbert Islands. He may have come from Mendania's ship. <laughs> How do you like that? It's right there for anybody to read. Oh, Red, it's a great beard, but with yeah. the name Gallagher, it somehow doesn't point back to a Spanish explorer. Yeah, yeah well, well, funnier things have happened, and besides, it worked, didn't it? We got out of there. With your loyal subject pushing eight wives at you, you had to get out. <laughs> had to defend yourself, Red. Just like you said. I told him I had a scarlet queen. The just fell off my beard. <laughs> yes, Skipper. To the queen? Yeah, after what she got you out of, to the queen. <laughs> after you, mate. After you. Log entry. The catch scarlet queen. 5.30 p.m. Wind light, sky fair with cumulus on eastern horizon. Sea, calm with low swell. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. 
Time now for Our Miss Brooks. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. And Palm Olive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave bring you Our Miss Brooks, transcribed and starring Eve Arden. Once again, for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, like most school teachers, Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has been exposed to her share of puppy love. I'll say I have. It's getting so I can't look a puppy in the face without flinching. <laughs> but the kids at school are nothing compared to the case I discovered at home between my landlady, Mrs. Davis, and Horace Barlow. The school's new Janet, a basement custodian. <laughs> Although she met him a week ago at a school tea, up until Thursday morning at breakfast, she kept denying anything but a passing interest in him. Please, Connie. Just because Horace Barlow has been over a few times is no reason for people to jump to conclusions. My goodness, Horace isn't jumping to conclusions. At his age, Horace is lucky if he can limp to conclusions. <laughs> But I've seen you two together, Mrs. Davis. As far as I'm concerned, I think of Horace as just a real nice boy. And he is, too. A real nice 68-year-old boy. <laughs> he happens to be 54, Connie. He told me so himself. I know, Mrs. Davis. And Jack Benny is 39. <laughs> Not that I'm criticizing your friendship. Far from it. I'm delighted that Horace is so genuinely fond of you. Oh, Connie... Horace doesn't even know I'm alive. Well, don't let that worry you. It's hard to tell about him most of the time. <laughs> anyway, I'm simply not interested in anything but the most casual relationship. Heavens, if I were thinking seriously, I'd try to find out something about the man, wouldn't I? Haven't you? Definitely not. I'm not even mildly curious. I haven't the slightest idea where he keeps his $10,000 life insurance policy. <laughs> and I have no knowledge whatsoever of how he got his leg wounded in the Mexican War, for which he gets a $53 a month pension. <laughs> Why, I don't even know in what bank he keeps his $2,619 savings account. Shame on you. You haven't even got his social security number. S-498-265. <laughs> Oh, that's Walter Denton. He's driving me to school. Be right there, Walter. Now, is there anything you want me to say to Mr. Barlow for you if I happen to see him at school? Not a thing, Connie. Okay. There's no necessity of even mentioning to him that I'm not busy tonight. I see. And there's no need for any remarks about the cake I'm baking today being too big for one person to finish alone. I'll be as silent as the tomb. And above all, it would be utterly shameless if you were to hear that I don't want to waste the box of cigars I bought yesterday. <laughs> you can trust me implicitly, Mrs. Davis. I won't say a word to Mr. Barlow. I'll just hit him on the head and drag him home. <laughs> up early this morning, Walter. I've got an errand to do for Mrs. Davis before my first class. I'll get you there with the speed of a gazelle, Miss Brooks. <laughs> oh, by the way, how's Mrs. Davis's romance with Mr. Barlow coming along? Oh, have you no 
noticed that, too? I think it's the cutest thing in the world. Mrs. Davis actually has a bad case of puppy love. It is cute, considering she's in her second puppyhood. (laughs) No disrespect intended, you understand. After all, what could be more romantic than two lonely old people encountering the grand passion in the sere and yellow leaf of life? (laughs) That's absolutely poetic, Walter. The burning desires of youth long past They look now for the subdued glow of companionship The warm and simple pleasures that two elderly people in love Can share together I can see them now Soaking their feet in the same pan of Epsom salt (laughs) I'll bet you'd like to find romance at that age, Miss Brooks At the rate I'm going now, I'm counting on it (laughs) But, Walter, I'd just as soon you don't mention the subject at school. It might be a source of embarrassment to Mr. Barlow. My trap is sealed, Miss Brooks. Now, what's the errand you're going to do for Mrs. Davis this morning? Well, off the record, I'm going to invite Mr. Barlow over to the house tonight. He's been a little backward about asking for a date. I get it. You're Mrs. Davis's John Alden. Now all you got to do is get Mr. Barlow to invite Mr. Boynton over for you, and you're all set. <laughs> Meetings adjourned. Hi, Miss Brooks You're pretty early today, aren't you? Hello, Harriet I've got to deliver a message to the custodian Have you seen him? Oh, yes Mr. Barlow just went into his office Isn't it wonderful, Miss Brooks? I don't know I've never been in his office (laughs) (laughs) I mean about Mr. Barlow and Mrs. Davis They're crazy about each other. Of course, it's a big secret. Couldn't be a bigger secret if they took out an ad. (laughs) Is there anything more romantic than the mellow romance of old age? Now, please, Harriet. To think of two people finding love at a time of life when others are preparing to pass on. (laughs) Two people walking hand in hand in the twilight of life. Yes, there's nothing like a brisk walk before passing on. (laughs) Well, I won't keep you any longer. Far be it from me to delay Mrs. Davis's emissary of love. Good luck in your mission, John Alden. Thank you, Priscilla. (laughs) Come in. I hope I'm not disturbing you, Mr. Barlow, but there's something I wanted to ask you. Well, then go ahead and ask. (laughs) If you want to get apples, you got to shake the tree. (laughs) Now, what is it? It's just this. I was wondering if tonight, that is, if you haven't any other plans, Mrs. Davis isn't doing anything, and I'm sure she'd be pleased if you wanted to drop over. Well, that's right, neighborly. Would uh, you like me to drop over? Of course. I'm sure you and Mrs. Davis will have a lovely evening together. Are you planning on staying in, Miss Brooks? I suppose so, Mr. Barlow, but I'm sure that at your age you don't need any chaperone. You're right about that. Maybe we could send Mrs. Davis to a movie. (laughs) Send Mrs. Davis to a movie? Sure. Oh. Oh, there's no sense in my trying to hide it any longer. Why, the only reason I've been coming around Mrs. Davis's place is to be near you. Near me? But you, you've been making dates with Mrs. Davis. Well, naturally. 
You gotta slip the drones a little, honey, if you want to get next to the queen bees. <laughs> you, Mr. Barlow, are barking up the wrong hive. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I, I simply can't believe it's even happening. I couldn't believe it myself. I just couldn't understand the feeling that swept over me when I first saw you, Miss Brooks. In fact, since that time, I've had my glasses changed twice. <laughs> but it's still the same. I keep asking myself, where have you been all my life? <laughs> Three quarters of it, I wasn't even born. <laughs> Look, Mr. Barlow, there's a, there's a great difference in our ages. Oh, nonsense, Miss Brooks. I just don't believe in age. Well, neither do I. I've been standing it off for years. <laughs> I mean, if you'll think this over for a while, you'll realize that it just couldn't work out. Why not? Is there somebody else playing the piano in your front parlor? <laughs> no, but Mr. Boynton plays the ukulele on my back porch. <laughs> We've been going together for quite a while now. You mean that biology fella? Oh, shucks, he's just an unsophisticated kid. Why, you couldn't warm him up if you stuck a Bunsen burner under him. You've been peeking. <laughs> that is, Mr. Boynton's just shy about expressing his feelings. He ain't got no feelings, if you ask me. Leastwise, not like I have, especially since I met you. Why, I just knew today was going to bring some excitement into my life. I got the strangest sensation right after breakfast. Maybe something fell into your gruel. <laughs> There's no two ways about it, sis. I'm smitten. <laughs> well, would it unsmit you if I told you that I was engaged to Mr. Boynton? Engaged? Oh, but he wasn't even over to your place the night I visited Mrs. Davis. He must have been working. If you come over tonight, I'm sure he'll be there. Well, seeing is believing. Well, I'll drop by, Miss Brooks, but... I still say when it comes to your bringing me messages from Mrs. Davis, speak for yourself, John Alden. There's no use talking. These man-tailored suits have got to go. <laughs> well, I was quite chagrined to find out that Horace Barlow was more interested in me than he was in Mrs. Davis. This was one triangle I was determined would not be eternal, not even overnight. Therefore, at lunchtime, I headed for Mr. Boynton's table in the cafeteria. But just as I got halfway to it... Oh, Mr. Conklin, I'm terribly sorry, sir. You're slipping, Miss Brooks. <laughs> You only knocked two dishes off my lunch tray today. I guess I didn't watch where I was going. Obviously. When you do, you get the whole tray. <laughs> well, luckily, nothing happened to your apple pie. The plate is broken, but the pie is intact. Here. Thank you. Even more luckily, nothing seems to have gotten on my clothes. No, sir. I've never seen you look so neat. White carnation and all. I spoke too soon. That's vanilla ice cream. <laughs> this never 
would have happened, sir, but I'm terribly preoccupied today. This must be preoccupied day at Madison High. I've had nothing but trouble with our new school custodian for the same reason. You mean Mr. Barlow? Yes, yes. He forgets about the furnace. He forgets to fix the pipes. The old goat acts as if he was in love. Maybe he is in love. Mr. Barlow? But who could a 70-year-old codger be in love with? He happens to be 54. Yes, and Jack Benny is 39. (laughs) Horace Barlow in love. At his age, he probably can't tell the difference between a woman and a kangaroo. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Well, if you'll excuse me, I'll be hopping off to lunch. No doubt I'll run into you later in the day, Mr. Conklin. It is with that thought in mind that I carry every possible form of accident and hospitalization insurance. Good day, Miss Brooks. Good day, Mr. Conklin. He's got a lot of nerve. Just because a person's lived a few more years than some other person. I don't like to interrupt, Miss Brooks, but if you keep talking to yourself, you'll make an eavesdropper out of me. Oh, I'm sorry, Walter. I've had a little shock this morning. You see, I spoke to Horace Barlow a short time ago about making a date with Mrs. Davis. What'd he say? He says he's not interested in Mrs. Davis. He's smitten with somebody else. Somebody else? But he can't do that to Mrs. Davis. Oh, she's a very sensitive little lady, and she's nuts about him. She'll be terribly hurt. That's what I'm afraid of. He doesn't know when he's well off. I'd like to see the hunk of crow bait he's fallen for. Now, just a minute, Walter. It so happens that Mr. Barlow thinks he's in love with me. With you? But that's illegal. (laughs) It's unthinkable. It's a... Let's just call it unusual. (laughs) Actually, Walter, I'm extremely worried about the situation. Mrs. Davis and I have been friends for too long to let a thing like this come between us. Why don't you just tell old Barlow to go peddle his papers? I did, practically. I even told him I was engaged to Mr. Boynton. That's what I'm worried about. They're both coming over tonight, and I've got to prove it. Oh, what's so tough about that? I'm sure Mr. Boynton will cooperate. You are? Sure. For one night. Oh. (laughs) Now, the next thing you gotta do is get Mrs. Davis out of the house tonight. Because if she caught you and Mr. Boynton acting as if you were engaged, she'd know something was rotten in Denmark. (laughs) What a sweet way to put it. But, Walter, how do I get Mrs. Davis out of the house? Easy. There's an old bachelor friend of my dad staying at the house for a couple of days, uh, Mr. Gordon. I'm sure he'd like a date with a nice, clean-cut character like Mrs. Davis. And I'll ask her to go out with him as a favor to my folks. What about Mr. Barlow? She expects him tonight. Just tell her he couldn't make it. Say his blood pressure hit a new high or something. (laughs) Now, you go find Mr. Boynton, and I'll call home and make sure Mr. Gordon's available to act as Davis bait for the evening. (laughs) See you later, Miss Brooks. All right, Walter, and thanks. Me and the night and the music. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, Mr. Boynton, I've got to talk to you right away. What's wrong, Miss Brooks? It's about Mrs. Davis. You know, she's got a crush on the school custodian, Mr. Barlow. But unfortunately, he's head over heels in love with somebody else. (laughs) Please, Miss Brooks, don't don't make me laugh while I'm drinking coffee. Mr. Barlow's an old man. What kind of a shriveled-up prune could he fall for? (laughs) Why does it have to be a prune? 
For all you know, Mr. Barlow could be crazy about a nice, young, firm, fuzzy peach. <laughs> Besides, he's only 48. <laughs> he's 70 at least. And not what you'd call in prime condition. Why, his hyperthyroidism is apparent, and his incipient arteriosclerosis masking cardiac decompensation was evident to me after one glance. Good thing you didn't take a second glance. He'd be a goner. <laughs> the truth is, Mr. Boynton, that Mr. Barlow's been coming to our place just so he could be near me. <laughs> if I'd known you were going to get so excited, I'd have worn my raincoat. Here. Use this napkin. Uh, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, but I, I couldn't help exploding. Do you mean to tell me Mr. Barlow is in love with you? That's right. We hyperthyroids have to stick together. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, I know it's an absurd situation, but my only real concern is Mrs. Davis. I've got to discourage Mr. Barlow once and for all, and you've got to help me. Oh, me? What can I do? Well, he's coming over to our place tonight. I invited him this morning on behalf of Mrs. Davis. That's when he told me how he felt about me, and that's when I told him something utterly fantastic. What did you tell him? That you and I were engaged to be married. Here's the napkin. <laughs> engaged to be married? But, Miss Brooks, that, that's utterly fantastic. I'm glad I said it first. <laughs> Don't you see, Mr. Boynton, this is very important to someone who's very important to me. Mrs. Davis is just about the best friend I've got. Well, if that's the case, Miss Brooks, I guess the least I can do is cooperate. Will you really, Mr. Boynton? Sure. For one night. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy, I'm full. That was a very fine dinner, Miss Brooks. I'm glad you liked it, Mr. Boynton. I opened it all by myself. <laughs> I hope Mr. Gordon took Mrs. Davis to a nice place for dinner. He appears to be a jolly old fellow, doesn't he? Oh, yes, indeed. I noticed he gave you a pretty thorough once-over when he was introduced. You seem to pack quite a wallop for these elderly Joes. <laughs> That's me, the Cleopatra of the cardiac cases. <laughs> But I'd better clear away these dishes. Mr. Barlow will be over any minute. Oh, if that's the case, shouldn't we be getting into the mood? The mood? Oh, yes, we're supposed to be engaged, aren't we? Oh, that mood. <laughs> I'm Mr. Boynton. I can hardly believe my ears. Why? There's no sense making a chore out of this thing. We might as well have some fun doing it. <laughs> fun doing it? Certainly not. Now, let's get started. Get started? The quicker, the better. Quicker, the better? Of course, come on. Come on? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, sure. You wash and I'll dry. <laughs> so much for the hopes of Connie Brooks, girl dreamer. Look, Mr. Boynton, working in the kitchen is the way married people would get into the mood. Engaged couples do their work in the parlor with... Soft light. Okay, we'll take a big basin of water and do the dishes in the parlor. <laughs> Sometimes I wish you were ugly. Come on, Mr. Boynton, I'll attend to the dishes later. Let's sit down in the living room, huh? All right, Miss Brooks. It, it isn't too healthy to commence working right after a meal anyway. That must be Mr. Barlow. 
Just make yourself comfortable. I'll let him in. Well, here I am, Brooksy. It is a fiddle and twice as musical. Come in, Mr. Barlow. <laughs> I fixed a little dinner for my fiancé this evening. We've just finished eating it. Follow me, won't you? Your fiancé? Oh, then you mean you actually... Hello, darling. Did you miss me? Miss you? I hated to leave you alone for so many seconds, but I just had to let Mr. Barlow in. You remember Mr. Barlow, don't you, dear? Oh, of course. How are you, Mr. Barlow? Snappy's a cookie and twice as full of ginger. <laughs> but let's get to the point. Miss Brooks here told me that you two are engaged. Is that true? Well, yes. Yes, it is. Well, then how come nobody around school's heard anything about it? Because we wanted it that way. We've been secretly engaged for over six months now, haven't we, darling? We certainly have, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Miss Brooks? Why does he call you Miss Brooks if you're going to be married? He doesn't like any display of affection in front of company. Let's sit down, shall we? Mr. Barlow, draw up a chair, won't you? And, sweetheart, you draw up a chair and we'll sit down. We? But, Miss Brooks, I worked out with the basketball team yesterday and my knees are a little weak. It may be a foul, but I'll never get a shot like this again. <laughs> sit down, dear. There we are. Comfy? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Seems mighty strange to me. Most engaged folks I've seen act a little more demonstrative than you do. But we're mad for each other, aren't we, darling? Yeah, mad. <laughs> you know, dearest, you, you haven't kissed me in five minutes. What? I said you haven't kissed me in five minutes. What are we going to do about that? Let's wait another five, huh? <laughs> What's the matter, darling? You want to kiss me, don't you? Uh, maybe it's me, Miss Brooks. No, I'm positive he doesn't want to kiss you. <laughs> oh, you mean he doesn't want to kiss me in your presence? I'm sure that wouldn't stop my great, big, handsome lover boy, would it, dearest? Certainly not. Give me your cheek. There. Wow. <laughs> Now, how about one to get me down off the ceiling? <laughs> Maybe I ought to go. But why, Mr. Barlow? You just got here. I know, but won't I be interrupting something? Only if you go. I mean, stick around a little while longer. I'll see who it is. Don't move, either of you. Sorry I had to disturb you, Connie, but I forgot my key again. Mrs. Davis, what are you doing home so early? Here, let me help you off with your coat and eyeglasses. Mr. Gordon showed me the most wonderful time, Connie. But he has a business appointment first thing in the morning, so we had to cut our date a bit short. Oh, uh, who's that in the living room? That's Mr. Boynton. And who's the man in the other chair? That's Mr. Boynton, too. He's awfully restless tonight. <laughs> oh, now I see who that is. It's Mr. Barlow. But you told me he wasn't coming over tonight. He must have changed his mind. Listen, Mrs. Davis, when two people have a beautiful friendship, they've got to do everything in their power to keep it from breaking up, right? Mm. Let's talk later, dear. I've got to get these shoes off at once. Mr. Gordon just danced my tootsies into a stupor. He's a wonderful man, Connie. Uh, that's why I want you to do me a little favor. A favor? Yes, when you go back into the living room. What do you want me to do, Mrs. Davis? Brush off that other old creep for me, will you? <laughs> 
You mean Mr. Barlow? Yes. I haven't the heart to hurt his feelings. Well, it'll save a lot of explanations, I guess. But I know I'm going to get two birds with one stone. What do you mean, Connie? As soon as the old duck is gone, my little lovebird will take off like a wounded pelican. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I told Mr. Barlow that Mrs. Davis had returned home with a bad headache, and he left the house after threatening to call her up very soon. Then, as I was about to barricade the door against Mr. Boynton's next move, he addressed me. Well, I'm sorry Mrs. Davis doesn't feel well, Miss Brooks. Is she lying down in her room? Yes, she is, Mr. Boynton. Well, that leaves just the two of us, doesn't it? Yes, but don't be nervous. It's much too early for you to think of leaving. Well, I'm not thinking of leaving, Miss Brooks. You and I still have plenty of unfinished business to attend to. Unfinished business? Well, certainly. You and I? That's right. After all, somebody's got to do those dinner dishes. Suppose you wash and I'll dry. <laughs> Better yet, you wash and dry. I've got another engagement. Oh, another engagement? Sure. If I hurry, I can catch Mr. Barlow before he gets on the bus. <laughs> This is Vern Smith reminding you to tune in next week to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis with the music of Wilbur Hatch. If you like mysteries that are as full of chuckles as chills, be sure to hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday over this same network. Don't miss the exciting and laughable adventures of these amateur detectives. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This program was transcribed. Stay tuned now for Jack Benny. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lights Out, followed by Gunsmoke. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.